What's going on, guys? Rockham Sabri here, and this is another episode. This is a live episode of the Overcoming Financial Trauma podcast. I cover financial trauma and financial empowerment for people who look like me. And uh, I was editing a video, an interview rather, that I did that I planned on releasing for this week's podcast. And I said, you know what? You guys haven't heard from me solo in a while. But um, I was reflecting on this being around the third anniversary of the publishing of my book, Financially Irresponsible, and the deliverance or the delivery of my uh, TEDx talk on financial empowerment. And a lot's changed in three years. One of the things that... um, I was asked recently and kind of celebrating this three-year anniversary of both of those accomplishments was when I look back on that experience, both writing the book and delivering a TEDx talk, do I feel differently? Do I feel the same? Um, and, And what is my thought on financial trauma look like today versus yesterday? And, um, I've been doing a lot of reflecting. I mean, I certainly had an answer in that moment, but I've been doing a lot of reflecting. And, you know, as I think about Financially Irresponsible, the book, um, I haven't picked it up. (laughs) I haven't picked it up and read through the content in these three years. But uh, one of the things that I'm the most proud of over the course of the time that this book has been published is the massive impact that it's had um, within my community and certainly the massive impact that it's had on me building my brand, my life, and, and the many doors that it's opened for me. But as far as the content is concerned, um, there are definitely ideas, strategies, and approaches within the book that um, I felt were necessary to articulate because that was my reality at that particular point in time that may not jive necessarily with the way that I do money now. I think that that's a testament really to the body of work that financially irresponsible is because it's not for everybody. I'm very clear about that in the beginning of the book. And I think I make several disclaimers throughout the book and that it's not financial advice. It's my experience. And the point is to help people look at money and look at their interactions with money from a very different place at that particular point in time um that time being 2019 i um did not have the vocabulary to describe financial trauma and what that meant um i didn't know what financial trauma was i didn't even know what financial psychology was i mean in my mind it made sense certainly that um psychology and money go hand in hand I have a background in finance, I have a background in psychology. So I could see these things show up in everyday life. But I didn't know that there was a whole like community focused on bringing to light financial psychology, financial therapy, financial trauma until um, really I stumbled on it and I thought that I created the, the term financial trauma, <laughs> 
looking at um, what was included in the book, Financially Irresponsible, and the inspiration for a lot of the content therein, coming out of um, work that was done by a psychologist, I believe psychologist or psychiatrist, Dr. Joy DeCroix in her book, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, and really marrying not only this concept of financial literacy, but also um, the generational trauma that Black people in America, um, in the United States of America specifically, have experienced from the time of slavery, through Jim Crow, up until present, with institutional racism and the barriers that um, exist in basically preventing us from building wealth um, or that has robbed us of our wealth in instances where we have accumulated. And so we hear about stories like Tulsa, Oklahoma, and um, you know even where Wall Street is now um, and where um, just all over, all over the country. And some people would say, well, you know, playing the victim card and playing the race card and pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And there's no reason for you not to be able to build. And, you know, from certain perspectives, I agree, but also, um, there, there has to be the acknowledgement of not the obstacles that prevent us from being successful financially, but the psychology that prevent us from being successful financially. And that's the part about this work that I feel like is so important. Um, that's the part about this work that I'm super passionate about. That's the reason why I started this podcast. That's the reason why I've niched down from financial literacy into financial empowerment, into financial trauma, and I know eventually um, the popular culture will catch on, right? <laughs> and there will be other people talking about financial trauma and there'll be other people talking about financial psychology and the social justice warriors and the keyboard captains are gonna go in and start making the same types of integrations between uh, the black experience in this country and um, the financial industry and, and the institutions and everything they're in. And, and that's exciting for me um, more than it's not because then I get to see kind of the fruits of my labor manifest. But um, right now, I won't claim to be the trailblazer in the space because that would be doing a disservice to myself and the community um, of people that I'm a part of, that I learn from, whose work that I like to share and refer to the researchers and um, the advocates for more inclusivity in financial content, um, specifically around financial education. But I will pat myself on the shoulder in saying that taking the bold stances, um, being unapologetically Black, and being courageous in leveraging media, whether that's written media, whether that is um, spoken media through other people's podcasts, through my own podcast, different platforms, um, and any outlet that I've had access to, to amplify this message and talking about 
and bringing awareness to financial trauma as a whole, but the financial trauma and the generational trauma that Black people in this country experience. Because it's often left out of the out of the equation when we're having these conversations. So the question that was asked of me, you know, how how has my feelings changed or my thoughts changed, my positions changed since delivering a TEDx talk is that, um, you know, the answer rather is that they've crystallized, they've matured. Um, I've been given or I've stumbled upon the vocabulary to articulate my experience. Um, and going from, you know, standing on that stage in front of that huge audience and telling the world that I aspire to be poor to now understanding that the behaviors and the ideas and the beliefs that we formulate about money start in childhood. And, um, and that was certainly true for me. But more than that, talking about building a team and talking about my process for overcoming and how that has evolved into a concept that I refer to as the three E's, which is um, exposure, education, and execution. And going through that lived experience and talking about what exposure looked like for me, what education looked like for me, looked like for me, what did execution look like for me, and how does this surface and manifest and continue to cycle throughout my life today to this very moment? Um, since then, I've gained a little bit of life experience, right? Some bumps and bruises, some uh, real-world applications that I think um, I didn't have the opportunity to learn or experience on my own because I went from um, knowing virtually nothing and having virtually no financial responsibility to, you know, making this great income with all of these great best practices, building credit, investing, saving, buying real estate, etc. And then, you know, time was the test, right? Time says, okay, now you're, you have credit, you have credit cards, you have responsibilities, like how do you manage these things? And I have to say that I'm mostly proud of what it is that I've accomplished financially um, in, in the earlier days and, and certainly throughout the 10 years that I spent in the banking industry. But when uh, I left my job is when shit really hit the wall. And um, I had been given this one piece of counsel. I won't even call it advice, but I was been given this one piece of counsel when I left my job. And that counsel was now everything that you believe about money is about to be challenged. And the things that you previously held as um, standards and non-negotiables, you may consider differently. And um, that couldn't have been more spot on as I think about the last year and a half and certainly this whole calendar year of 2022 from January 1, looking at you know December 31, in a couple of weeks, how incredibly difficult it's been to navigate solopreneurship and figure things out as I moved along with regard to where is my money coming from? How am I using this money? How am I using credit and debt? Um, you know, can, what does missing a payment look like? 
what does getting back on track look like? What does buying a car look like in this environment? What does navigating a pandemic and a recession look like? What does having to liquidate assets look like? And all of these challenges compounded by financial stress and financial trauma coming out of an environment that was doing me harm, right? Looking at corporate America, my experience in corporate and realizing that not only did I not feel comfortable being my complete self um, or even recognizing who my complete self was, but that I was constantly being bullied with the dangling carrot of not only my salary, but any bonuses or opportunities for advancement until ultimately I decided that I had done enough brand building, personal brand building to go out and try and figure this thing out on my own. And it's been, if not the scariest decision, one of the scariest decisions that I've ever made, but it's also been one of the most rewarding and learning experiences that I've ever made. And I'm happy that I made it. If I had to do it all over again, I certainly would do it probably the same way. Um, I wish that I knew certain things in hindsight that I didn't take for granted certain other things while I was in the building phase, but it wasn't my goal to, um, to go into corporate and work for banking, work in the banking industry for a decade and say, okay, decade done, I'm ready to leave. Um, I think had those negative um, influences and environments not existed, that I'd probably still be there today. So everything happens for a reason. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer of that. And um, in that, I, uh, I made my bed and I'm laying in it. But I think, you know, as we have conversations about financial trauma and, and maybe the financial trauma that comes with entrepreneurship compounded by some of the things and variables that I've described as, you know, a black man as a millennial navigating the pandemic, navigating a recession um, and a, and a service-based business without really a track record for, um, for having a service-based business that is cash flowing. It's been, um, a real test of, I think, fortitude and certainly uh, identity, purpose, and saying, well, you know, you made this choice. Do you want to stand by that choice? Do you want to renege on your decision and, you know, kind of go back? Uh, what does making peace with the nine to five world look like? And, um, do you go back and get a job to kind of hold you over? And what does your attitude look like when you go back into that environment? And these are all thoughts and feelings that I've had, that I've wrestled with. Um, I love having the freedom that I have to kind of move when and where I want to without asking for permission. And so just even the idea of going back into the workforce and having to change the way that I talk and 
change my voice and code switch and you know be something other than who i am and ask for permission and deal with the possibility of somebody telling me no or that my work is not to the quality that they're looking for it to be or the belittling and the microaggressions like you know i talk about financial trauma but corporate trauma and healing from that corporate trauma is also very real and i think intertwined in this too you know i'm watching almost every day news of layoffs in you know the tech industry specifically where earlier this year or maybe towards the end of last year we saw this massive rallying for black tech employees um, being hired now you know a lot of people are being let go and i don't think that you know the, the let go part is race related by any means i think it's economy related but you know there was such a value placed on that right like i'm black in tech i'm making a six-figure salary and um you know one of my projects or you know one of the things that i really wanted to focus on when i started you know doing this independent work was getting in front of these tech executives um these tech companies these tech employee ergs and talking about you know what does that look like in changing your lifestyle from you know making sub 50 or $60,000 a year to at excess of $100,000 a year and how do you navigate such a huge jump in income without kind of losing your mind right and um you know I had a, a conversation with someone who went into the tech industry and you know they graduated and they got into the tech industry rather so it wasn't like they transitioned out of a previous industry but they said like one of the first things they decided to do was buy themselves a Tesla I think it was some some nice luxury car and they were talking about how guilty they felt because of how much money they were making and how much money they weren't saving and what they you know they knew they should be doing but they weren't doing and I could just imagine if that individual felt like that money was going to keep coming in that way forever. And if, you know, suddenly the plug was pulled and they're like, hey, sorry, you got to go find you another job. And regardless of how qualified they were, how what certifications they had, et cetera, et cetera, that they, that they couldn't find one. And certainly this is not, you know, this is not the reality. I don't know if I haven't talked to that person since. But I just think about like how traumatic that experience could be um, and is for a lot of people. But also I think about the responsibility that, um, that I carry as a creator who has command of a pretty large audience across the different socials and telling my story about how I fired my boss, right? I quit my job, I walked away with no notice, like I burnt that bridge. I'm going all in on entrepreneurship. And how many people were so moved, so inspired by that decision that they went out and tried to do it themselves without understanding like what it is that I had to build to get here financially and what it is that I've had to endure to stay here psychologically so 
in hindsight, yes, I think, you know, certainly my my views, my feelings, my approach, my strategy has matured. And I think that's the beautiful thing about wisdom. It's the beautiful thing about growth is that you have the opportunity to look at something that you said. I think about um, Malcolm X in this instance. You have the opportunity to look at something that you said five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, two years ago. And you get to say, yeah, yeah, I felt that way. And it was valid in that moment, but I feel differently now. And I have the experience and you know the life experience to navigate what that difference or to justify what that difference in opinion or feeling look like. Um, and I say Malcolm X because me and my dad have had a lot of conversations about, you know, how he is sensationalized in our community today. Um, but that the sensationalization of Malcolm X specifically as um, really a community icon, a community hero, a community legend, right? Was someone who was barely my age when he was killed. And that had he been given the opportunity to grow into his 40s and 50s and 60s and beyond, what change would we, or how would we recognize him today? How would we recognize his words and his positions and his passions and the work that he'd done today, right? Because all that time, all that time really kind of facilitates growth and wisdom or should anyway. So um, not to uh, put myself in the same shoes with Malcolm X. We have very different missions, I think, and uh, very different approaches to those missions. But, you know, I'm grateful for time. I'm grateful for wisdom. I'm grateful for maturity. And I'm grateful for consistency too, you know, as, as I think about, you know, the message and how that's evolved with Ted, with um, Financially Irresponsible, with the various platforms that I've created um, and, and have allowed to evolve and morph into different perspectives. I know that there is consistency in my messaging and that consistency is certainly centered around this idea of personal empowerment through finances. Um, using finances or the conversation around finances as a means to get people to feel empowered over their time, over their experiences, over their life. And, um, you know, I, I'm a living, breathing kind of testament to that, right? Like, I'm not, I don't have the most money in the world. Um, I don't jump on social media to flaunt and brag about what it is that I bought or what it is that I have, but I do get to share my experience in a very transparent, maybe sometimes overly transparent way that says, yeah, like this is what freedom feels like. That's what freedom looks like. And having the space to think and to create and to reflect and to feel, right? To feel fear, to feel stress, to feel anxiety, 
and to document the process of navigating that, which I think I do a pretty good job at in, um, in my newsletter. Shout out to the newsletter. I have a newsletter that goes out every Friday morning at 9.30 on Substack at rakimsabri.substack.com. And in that newsletter, I um, it's called Overcoming Financial Trauma. And I use personal anecdotes and experiences and conversations that I've had with other people, um, professionals in the space of mental health and or money, researchers, practitioners, and then the average Joe. Um, I think, you know, I think it was either last episode or episode before had a conversation with a friend from college who's building a brand. And, um, you know, on the surface, you would think, well, what does he have to talk about financial trauma? But the reality of the situation is that we all experience financial trauma on this very broad spectrum. And that financial trauma looks different for everybody. So if you are the high income earner or um, the multiple degree carrying professional doctor, MBA, uh, lawyer, what have you, and you're, you're dealing with the decisions of carrying that debt, you know, there's financial trauma there. If you, you know, had experiences with being homeless, there's financial trauma there. If you're like the budding entrepreneur, there's financial trauma there. If you lived your life, you know, in the image of what your parents expected you to live and never got the opportunity to go out on your own and do your own thing because you were constantly chasing the approval of your parents, financial trauma there. If you're the, the child of immigrants, there's financial trauma there. And um, I just want to open up these conversations that have such a stigma and a taboo tied into them to be normal conversations so that we can understand as laymen, right? As, as regular people, how these experiences shape not only the way that we believe about money, right? But how we interact with money and that maybe we have to do some things for a little while that feel uncomfortable or that are non-conventional to survive and that we shouldn't get, you know, the finger of shame from the, you know, the Dave Ramsey crew and the Robert Kiyosaki crew and the Susie Orman crew that says, oh, well, you didn't do it this way and you should have did it that way. And if you would have did this, then this would have happened. And I can't forget about, you know, the LLC Twitter crew who, you know, thinks that everything needs to go into an LLC and, you know, the run the play crew. I mean, there's there's so much information, competing information out there that is not true to anybody's one lived experience. And, you know, a lot of us get on these platforms, myself included giving um, suggestions or feedback or snapshots of our experiences and our audiences eat it up and internalize that as well, that is the way like that's the way that's how we have to do it so i'm here to normalize these conversations i'm here to normalize transparency i'm here to normalize trauma financially and 
the overcoming of what that trauma looks like. And I'm here to do it in a fun way, um, in a welcoming way, in a way that doesn't create shame or guilt or fear my way. Um, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. So I think uh, I'm going to cut it here. This has been Rakim Sabri. First live stream, first live episode of the Overcoming Financial Trauma podcast. I cover financial trauma and financial empowerment for people who look like me. And I appreciate you hanging out with me. Um, And I hope that you subscribe, that you share, that you rate, and that you join my Substack community. Again, that's rahkimsabree.substack.com, R-A-H-K-I-M-S-A-B-R-E-E.substack.com. And it's a weekly newsletter. It comes out again every Friday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'll see you guys in the comments. Hey, guys, Rahkim Sabree here, and I just wanted to drop by and thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please share with your friends, rate my episode on whatever your preferred listening platform is. And if you have any feedback, reach out to me on social everywhere at Rakim Sabri, no underscores, hyphens, or periods. Until next time, I'll see you guys in the comments.